0: Uh, Tammy recounts in her recent podcast how happy she was to start that work there in Portland, and then a few years later, they, they began their family. But just after their first was born, Tammy began to manifest alarming symptoms. She complained of fogginess, of dizziness, of lapses in memory. Um, basically, it was like early-onset dementia at 21, 22 years old. Time went on, they added more children, and... Uh, Tammy's symptoms actually worsened. Tammy prayed for release for two years, then three, then seven, then ten. Can you identify with Tammy? Do you have something going on in your life, something plaguing you that you long for God to remove? Maybe you don't doubt God's love or His forgiveness for your sins, but you might wonder, where can I find a good miracle when I need one? Perhaps like Tammy, you've come to a space through suffering where you long for grace and for your heavenly inheritance. During this time, Tammy internalized the doctor's prognoses. At year 10, she was at peace with the fact that she was going to die soon. Somewhat sad that she would be leaving early, but she had this, this growing confidence that God would take care of her family. Then her symptoms changed. Now, instead of just dizziness and fatigue, Her face spasmed and contorted constantly. She had no control over her features. The doctors stopped talking about what would kill her and began mentioning that maybe her condition would merely maim her. Tammy's heart sank. She would become an invalid and a burden to her family. Now, in the course of time, Tammy and John Mark went through a book together in which they drew up a family tree. I don't know if you've ever done a genogram, but you... You draw up a family tree in such a way that you begin to look at patterns in your family. And it was strange, in in Tammy's family, every firstborn daughter contracted hideous diseases and died young. Tammy was next. And this could have caused Tammy to forsake God. But instead, Tammy says she found a way to learn to celebrate the transforming love of Christ that is found really only through suffering. She desperately wanted a miracle to take it all away, but meanwhile, God had provided a way for her to find profound peace and endurance through the Spirit's ministry. Then, near seventeen, Tammy's brother called her out of the blue. He was looking through some family archives and came across information he thought would be kind of interesting to her. See, it seems Tammy's great grandmother, Gigi, uh, was dabbling was one of those who dabbled in occult practices. And she took up with the man with whom she had had eight children. They never married. And the interesting fact for Tammy was that the man's wife, Gigi never knew he was married, had paid a witch doctor to put a curse on great-grandmother. And as the curse stipulated, each of the firstborn daughters took ill and died early. Tammy was next. Tammy continued in the podcast and uh, was actually able to share about the miraculous love of God breaking this curse in her life and her eventual healing. It's wonderful. But today's passage involves a miracle where Simon Peter has an acute need. Now, admittedly not something that he needed 17 years of prayer in order to to see a resolve in. God shows up. And it's funny because not many people saw this miracle except Simon Peter, so it's sort of a funny event to include in the gospel. the gospel account. And yet it's actually kind of key to understanding what Matthew wants us to understand about the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, there is a wonderful message in Matthew chapter 17, starting verse 22, and I invite you to join me as I read. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, "The Son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day." And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachman tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, "Uh, Yeah. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or others? And when he said, Well, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that shekel and give it to them for me and for yourself. Let's pray. Amen. God, we thank you that we can cry out as babes uh, looking for spiritual milk, looking for your sustenance to our day, and we thank you that you provide it in the Scripture and by the Spirit's work. We ask you to speak to us this day, maybe uh, certainly um, bring to our hearts any healing we need, but perhaps you put someone on our heart that we can carry in prayer as they have certain needs as well. We look for your grace today in the name of our Father, amen. amen. It's a weird one, but what do we make of this strange miracle of Jesus? In verses 22 and 23, Jesus described his death and his resurrection and suddenly he needs four drachmas or one shekel to pay some sort of a tax for Peter and for himself. In the chapters leading up to today's passage, Jesus provided examples of his resurrected newness at the Mount of Transfiguration when he fed 4,000 people, freed others from oppression by demons, and he challenged the leaders of the old dead religious system These events culminate in a miracle where a fish coughs up a coin. Now, interestingly, immediately after Jesus announces his resurrection uh, to, you know, the renewal of the kingdom there in verses 22 and 23, those embedded in the old system, those embedded in the old system challenge Jesus whether he is really a good conformist to the old ways of things. Look to their questions in verse 24. Do you pay our tax? Now, just to be clear, this temple tax was instituted by Moses. It's not the same as the taxes collected for the Romans. These guys are not the hated tax collectors like Levi or Zacchaeus. Peter's answer to the temple tax collectors in verse 25 is tepid, really only one word. Yeah. But as soon as Jesus, I'm sorry, as soon as Simon Peter enters his home, Jesus assures him that this, that this tax is legitimate and that he should pay for both. Now, Jesus' questions to Peter are, of course, bursting with meaning. In verse 25, he asks, From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Now, this phrase, kings of the earth, appears in the Bible about 23 times. Not once does it ever relate to the people of the kingdom of God. Jesus' question can be understood is, listen, if you belong to the world system as an unbeliever, Instead of, the God, of God's kingdom as a believing child, would the world leave you alone? And we all know that answer. It's sort of a mixed yes. So you won't be considered weird if you agree that God doesn't perform miracles today. And you'll be one of us if you believe that your good cannot weigh your bad on the judgment day. And you'll certainly fit in if God always approves of every lifestyle. But belonging in the world system does not guarantee a blissful life. Ask the sexually exploited, or the economically oppressed, or the politically bullied, or the ethnically persecuted. As for me, I would rather be a doorman at the house of my God than to dwell and flourish in the tents of the wicked. Being disciples of the worldly system might mean that some people won't consider you weird, but you'll pay a high price now, and in the end, you'll die an eternal death. For those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, God will give the right to become the children of God. Like Tammy Comer, we will all experience trials and hardships in this life, and many of them will be physical, but all of them are spiritual. You will be ostracized and vilified if you stand up for the gospel, sometimes very lonely, but you'll never be forsaken by God. Verses 25 and 26, Jesus asks a question about the kings of the earth. And the key term here for deeper understanding is his use of the word sons. You see, in Matthew's gospel so far, um, five times Jesus has called himself and been called son of God. And 15 more times Jesus has called himself son of man. So I suggest that Jesus is also asking the question, Peter, I just told you that I, the son of man, will be delivered to death and rise again on the third day. If you are a son, or of course daughter, of God, won't the true king of the earth then make you free? Verse 26. And the answer is yes. As a child of God, united by faith in Christ, you will be free. Your judge becomes God and God alone. Then everything God created is good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That's good work. You are free to enjoy every gift that God gives. So every Christian follower can say, I'm free in Christ. By Christ's grace, you have been freed from slavery and sin to freedom to serve God and love God while you serve other people. We find freedom by the Son of God to become children of God. And as children of God, Paul wrote that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Enjoy that for a second because we're going to go dive back into verse 27. Verse 27 here in today's passage tells us that we are not to use our freedom in such a way as to offend others. So you are free up to a point. You see, the exact word for give offense here in verse twenty to 27 is "scandalize," which means to put a stumbling block in front of someone. Now, in some ways, this is funny because Jesus hasn't worried all that much about offending the religious elites in other gospel passages. And perhaps this is part of the reason that Simon Peter is so ambiguous or seems ambiguous in his answer about Jesus paying the tax. Jesus hasn't always been friendly to the religious elites. And, of course, right now they're, they're challenging him. You know, are you part of our old system? Jesus tells Simon, look, look, let's not scandalize these people. And sometimes we might ask, why? (laughs) If we're truly free, why do we care about what others think? They should react to us. Did you ever feel that way? You know, maybe you read a post on social media and you think, no, no, my voice should not be quieted. It's the other person who's perverting the way of God, not me. Parents, you know what it's like having to defer to the children a lot. Christian, you might feel free to, to drink alcohol, but you abstain for the alcoholic friend or, you know, the teetotaling family member who doesn't want to be the only one not drinking at Thanksgiving. Maybe you, you put up with vegetarian pizza at work because you honor the, the vegan colleague. We all learn to set aside our rights on behalf of others, which is what Jesus is instructing Peter to do here. Relinquishing our rights is a gospel value Jesus says you are exempt from the obligations of the law but it's not a reason then to go ahead and flaunt it put another way Jesus says just because you can do something doesn't mean you ought to do something consider first not how to claim your rights but instead how your witness can affect others now here's where i go ahead and almost contradict myself uh, some, because sometimes for gospel witness, it is important for you to assert your rights. That's true. But I just want to invite you to remember that today's passage does not cover all instances of, of what that might be. So we're going to take what, what we do have today and look at, at this for, for today, and, and the other one's part of another sermon, right? But think about it. In this age where everyone claims their supposed rights to things, how countercultural and how gospel cultural would it be if we, if we effectively express God by wisely relinquishing our rights? Let's face it. It gets tiring to be the one, the only one, it seems, who always gives up her rights. And at some point, you may come to the end of your own ability to cope. What then? Well, look back again to verse 22. Jesus was the only human who never needed the grace of God. Yet the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised again on the third day. Jesus gave up his power. He gave up his reputation. He gave up his right to a peaceful life in order that you, in order that I, could enjoy your eternal life in God. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising its shame, and and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What else can we learn from today's passage? First, you are never forsaken, and God will make a way. God helped Peter, Simon Peter, to find a way to pay a tax. God helped Tammy Comer to get through her ordeal. And Jesus says this, I have told you these things, all the the troubles we're going to have in life, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. What plagues you might take 17 years of prayer. Fact is, you might take that plague with you to the grave. Or God may provide a proverbial shekel in a fish's mouth. Of this particular miracle, uh, John Piper says this, The point is not that God always gives you a miracle to get you through every scrape, but that God will do whatever it takes to help you pursue the path of freedom and sacrificial love that seems impossible for you at the time. In these situations, remember this, God abides and God provides. Second, let's enjoy the fact that we have freedom in the Son of Man, Jesus God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are free from burden to sin to love God and others. Third, can you enjoy the fact that Jesus, well, involved Peter in this coin-producing miracle, almost sort of an inside joke? Think of the fish tale that Peter can tell. And I'm not promising you that you'll get a miracle when you relinquish your rights, but God sees and will honor your faith, either now or in the life to come. Here we might remember Tammy Comer's story and how God showed her his way of love, even through suffering. And she eventually received a miracle, too. Through God's intimacy in your suffering, you too will experience a unique relationship and profound transformation in the love of God. The fact is, we will never outgive God. We can be, I'm sure, far more outgoing in how we we give to our fellow humans, but we will have trials in this life, and God will work through these trials to produce spiritual fruit for ourselves and for others. This often calls for us to relinquish our rights, but in so doing, we will enjoy an intimacy with God. We're not usually called to sacrifice our physical life like Christ did, but in Christ's strength, we are called to love others sacrificially so that there's no stumbling blocks to those regarding the gospel. By Christ's grace, we can overflow God's work into someone else's life so that they too can know the freedom that we enjoy. And by grace, may we always find strength in God's redeeming work amidst the trials of our lives. Amen. We go to prayer. I don't know how many of you um, are familiar with um, Do Good, but uh, she wrote a, a wonderful book of confessions and prayers, and I selected one today called Patience. Let us pray together. Righteous Heavenly Father, we confess that we are often agitated by the evil we see in ourselves and others. In our sin and weakness, we find it difficult to trust you and act kindly. Instead, we hold on to rage, fretting with fear and imagining ways to get even with those who sin against us. Our thoughts are disturbed, dissecting, criticizing, despising, and plotting. Sometimes we lash out in anger, wounding others with our deeds and words. Sometimes we withdraw in cold hatred, punishing others with our disdain and rejection. Either way, we struggle to believe that you will act and that you are for us. We are tempted to envy unrighteous people and covet their apparent freedom and prosperity. We forget that you are strong and good and that you love to save and protect your people. Lord, if we could trust you with our welfare, we would be free to love others in their weakness. If we could be patient and wait for you to act, we would enjoy greater peace. If we could be satisfied with you and what you have given, we could be generous to others instead of envious. Father, Forgive us for our great sin and weakness. Have mercy on us. Lord, thank you for your great patience and love toward us. We have drunk deeply from the gushing fountains of your forgiveness and generosity. And we marvel that we can still be so vengeful, stingy, and full of malice toward others. Thank you for uniting us in your Son and giving us his perfect faith and patience. His love for evil people his lack of fear and selfishness, his refusal to covet or envy, his perfect anger and perfect peace, his lavishly generosity with his life, time, and love, all credited to us. Help us to take delight in him and cherish him. Holy Spirit, we need your help every moment of every day. We can't see our hateful, envious, impatient selves without your guidance, and we cannot change our own hearts. Show us our hearts and give us grace to face evil in ourselves and others with patience, honesty, compassion, and the same forgiveness that we have received in Christ. When we succeed, (laughs) make us thankful so that we can give all the glory to you alone. When we fail and fall, help us to repent and see the radiance of Christ in our place and make us thankful. May our failures lead us to worship the only one who has never failed and who gladly lived and died for us in order to share his grand inheritance with us forever. Amen. Amen.